My guest today is Kos Marte, born and raised on the Lower East Side in New York, the son of Dominican immigrants and raised by a single mother who struggled to support her family. Kos started selling drugs at the age of 13. For the next 10 years, he was in and out of correctional facilities. By the age of 23, he was the leader of a multi-million dollar cocaine operation. He got arrested again and was sentenced to seven years in prison. In prison, Kos learned that he was dangerously overweight. He embarked on a journey to change his poor habits. He got healthy little by little and slowly, really fit and started training other inmates. Whilst in solitary confinement, he had an epiphany. He resolved not to return to drugs on the street and came up with the idea of Con Body, the business he subsequently launched sometime after coming out of prison. Con Body Studios offer a series of 45-minute routines using only body weight and focused on maximum movement in a small space. Today, Kos is a fitness entrepreneur and his business also has a social mission to provide training and employment for young men leaving prison. He's also on the board of Second Chance Studios, a not-for-profit digital media company that trains and employs formerly incarcerated individuals and enables them to reintegrate into life and the world of work outside prison. Kos and I discussed the highs, the many terrible lows, his epiphanies, and how he managed to change his life for the better, one step at a time, despite the odds. You are listening to Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. I love a great story. So in this season, I will talk to incredible people who've experienced huge, pivotal moments of real change, by choice or by circumstance. From stories of reinvention and inspiring career pivots to the dramatic shifts that happen in moments of crisis, I hope you can join us each week to hear about their fascinating and inspiring journeys. My guest today is Kos Marte, former inmate and now fitness entrepreneur. Welcome, Kos. Thank you for having me, Dee. I appreciate it. Wonderful to have you. So, Kos... You are a fitness entrepreneur with a very fast-growing empire. However, life looked very different for you some years ago. Between the ages of 13 and 23, you went into correctional facilities 10 times, I believe, for drug dealing. If you can, take me to the first time that happened and what that felt like for you. Yeah, I mean, it was a scary situation, um, but also I was so young that I was so fearless. Like I was not scared of anything. You know, I I think um, when I first got arrested that first time, you know, they put cuffs on me and they take me down to the precinct. I'm like, I didn't really care. I had this like, you know, big shot mentality that nothing's going to stop me. Right. It was scary, but um, I was a fighter and I didn't really care. And I felt like I was unstoppable myself. So when this kept happening, what were your emotions? Was it resignation because you were in a, stuck in a, a vicious circle, in a cycle that was almost predetermined? Or, or was it something else? I was always like, right, this is why I got caught. You know, I need to do something different. You know, I, I got to figure out 
you know, where, where the cops are patrolling and, you know, I should not have had all this stuff on me at that certain time. I shouldn't be walking around with this, uh, you know, things should be put away. So I was always contemplating on how to do things a little bit better. And I think that's like the mindset of a little bit of entrepreneurship. Oh, well, well, totally. And as you and I just touched on before we started here, you know, entrepreneurs, um, a lot of former inmates and current inmates show, and there's data and lots of it to back this, show very, very strong entrepreneurial traits, right? Risk-taking for one, <laughs> which is a major, major characteristic of an entrepreneur. Yeah. So you, for you, Koss, you, by the age of 23, you were... You were running a serious business, right, in New York City. You were the leader of a multi-million dollar cocaine operation. You had lots of people working for you. You were making a lot of money, seven figures, and you got caught. So you went back in and you knew this was a bit more serious. We're going to come back to you as a parent today, but what was the impact, do you think, maybe even with hindsight, on, on your mother with all of this? Uh, my mom was always devastated and she was always worried and she was always stressed out, couldn't sleep at night. She actually said she was sleeping better when I was locked up because she knew where I was at. Did you, you know? ever, and of course you were very, very young, well, you still are, of course, but you were very young at the time, right? Even when you went in for, for a seven year stint. But did you ever, during that time, contemplate that there was another way? You know, did you enjoy what you were doing? I mean, in the, ultimately, because it was the wheeling and dealing and the hustle. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie to people. I, I had a lot of fun. You know, I, I spent a lot of money, did a lot of things. After a while, I felt like I was like a robot and it was not as fun as it was when I was like in the weeds of it. And I think that's like a comparable situation as a, you know, as you grow your business, you're in a, you know, go from a small business to a corporation, you, you start, you know, you're in the weeds, you're doing everything, you know, it's exciting. But once it starts running like clockwork, it's like, uh, you know, what's next? Which is obviously very entrepreneurial because we want businesses that, you know, generate income night and day. Right. But this time you went in and it was the big one. You went in for seven years, you were an adult, right? You weren't going into junior correctional facilities. And I guess, you know, hearing about your story as if things weren't bad enough. You know, you learned that you had cholesterol issues, you had some weight issues and, you know, potential heart issues further down the track. So take me to that moment. When I got locked up was the first time I saw a doctor, you know, and the first time that I got my blood drawn in, in years, you know, since I was a kid. So when I went inside and they drew my blood and they called me back to the medical unit and a physician sets me down and, and she says like, you know, you have like extremely high cholesterol. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what does that mean? She was like, if you keep eating and, you know, doing what you're doing, like you could die of a heart attack within five years. And I was like, what? And they, they placed me on medication. You know, they told me that I, I had to diet. They told, they suggested to exercise. And uh, I remember going back to my prison cell and like, you know, just contemplating on what I was gonna do. And, and I started working out. And I, I think I did maybe like five push-ups, uh, a couple jumping jacks, and, and I just passed out on my bed. And I said, this is way too hard. I'm not fucking doing this shit no more. <laughs> so, um, and I remember the next day they, they called the rec yard and, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go outside. And so I start jogging. Um, 
you know, after a little bit, people used to see me out there like every single day, like I was running and then going back to my cell, doing all types of calisthenic workouts. Like, but can I can I just stop you there for one second, cause because the fact is, you know, as we all know, and you know, in your work today with your gyms and all the people that come through the door, it's making the first step, isn't it? It's like literally, if you've never taken any exercise, the most significant moment of change is when you walk through the door of that gym, right? Whether you do five minutes or stay for an hour and a half, right? What was your state of mind then and subsequently in the weeks after to keep going and to get up and just do it no matter what? I had the mindset of just like moving, you know, and like I I, I was like, I have the time. I'm not really doing anything else. And then it became like my new addiction. You know, I, I just went out there and I had to do it, whether it was rain, sleet, snow, you know, there's inmates that, you know, I was locked up with that could tell you that, you know, they, they thought I was crazy because I was, I was like jogging and, and doing all types of stuff in three feet of snow, you know, and, and I just did that. So six months down the line, when you started to get seriously fit, which you did, and you trained a number of your, your fellow inmates and friends in prison, how did that change impact you? Yeah, so after six months, I lost over 70 pounds. Which is um, 30 kilos to those that don't know about pounds or more than, yeah. Yeah, yeah, about 30 kilos. And I guess it was life-changing for me in a physical sense, uh, mental, not as much, because I... I I still had the mentality to like hustle and thinking that I'm going to go back to the streets and do what I do. But at the time, uh, physically, I was able to tie my shoes without like lifting my, you know, I had to like cross my legs to try to tie my shoes at the time. And at that time, I could like bend over and tie my shoes. And I started catching eyes of other inmates and they saw that I was, you know, consistently out there. And, and there was one big guy, uh, his name was Bus. He he weighed over 300 pounds. He uh, which is love the name. Know, the, the divide. Yeah, he was just <laughs> we called him Bus because he he was the size of Bus. He was huge, uh, which you know I could calculate probably 120 kilos, or 30 kilos. So huge guy, short like me. You know, not tall. He's like five nine like myself, and and um and, and he asked me. You know, he asked me to run with him and. And I was like, yeah, let me train you. And so he started running with me and he brought a couple other friends. Uh, he eventually lost over 100 pounds. I helped over 20 inmates. It was over 1,000 pounds combined. And I didn't think I was going to start a business behind it. I just had the mentality of like building some sort of camaraderie. And it was just holding each other accountable. It felt good to, you know, have a team that you got out there and you, you worked out together, you know, and. What was your thinking? I know you hit another moment of change, unfortunately, which kept you in a bit longer. But what was your thinking about going back out? You mentioned that you thought you're just going to go back to the streets and so forth. Was there a point at which you thought, actually, I've got to do something else with my life? Uh, no, my mentality was like, uh, I need to go out there. And, and yeah, it, primarily because I was like, you know, what else am I going to do to provide for my family when I'm going to go home? And I've been in similar situations where I was in for a year and come home and maybe try to apply for a few jobs and, and be frustrated at the fact that they're going to deny me because of my criminal record. So it was like, you know, why, why bother going that route, you know? And it was not until the end of my incarceration where I had a, 
I call it a like a spiritual awakening for myself um, where I ended up in solitary confinement uh, due to right. I remember my sister finding out I was in solitary and she writes me a letter and she writes me a letter telling me to read Psalm 91 from the Bible. And uh, she's super religious. Uh, I'm not a really religious person, but all I had in my cell was this Bible and that's the only thing they can't take away from your your items. And so that's the only thing that they gave me. And it was the Bible that my sister gave me early on in my incarceration about uh, yeah, like, a year into prison, she gave me that Bible. I only used that Bible to keep a address book. So like all my homies, all my friends that were like leaving out of prison, I was just writing their phone numbers, names, and contact information so I could like- I love that in the Bible, it. it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah the address book, you know? In uh, the holy the book. First, <laughs> yeah, the first couple pages, you know, cause that's the only thing they can't take away from you. So, and I was like- Very clever. Yeah, like, you know, that was the thing we did. And so um, out of boredom, I decided, uh, you know, first of all, she gave me this letter and I threw it in the corner of my cell. And I'm like, hell no, I don't need God. I need a lawyer. I need to get out of this situation. And it was not until like a couple of days later, sitting there out of boredom, like that I decided to turn to the pages she told me to read, Psalm 91. Uh, which states, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my shelter and my fortress, my God and who I trust. And as soon as I read those words, there was a stamp that fell out between those sound pages as I was laying down in my bed and I felt like chills run down my body. I felt like there was something bigger than myself. Was that an epiphany moment for you, do you think? Was that, a, you know, you the awakening? Absolutely. And then, so what did that lead to? Did you feel you had hope at that moment? I felt I had hope, but I also was, for me, I was intrigued on what more the Bible had to say. So I read the Bible from front to back. And it was weird. It was just weird sensations that I was feeling as I read the Bible. Because What type of sensations? Uh, so I was, the, the cell I was in, it was about 100 degrees. It was in the middle of summer. There was no AC, no no air ventilation, you know, uh, no fan. I'm just suffocating in there. I'm, I'm basically naked, sweating. And I remember every time I, I started reading it, I felt this cool sensation, like I was I was in a, a beach in, in the Caribbean, you know, with a cool breeze coming through, you know, and it was like a sense of calmness that, like, really. I don't know, help like re calm me down, you know, or help me breathe. And so as that, that happened, I just kept reading and reading and reading because I wanted to cool down. <laughs> uh, but, but also like, I, I just, I, I really understood uh, what the message was, you know, and, and was for me, it was just like trusting the process, you know, and doing the right thing day after day and, and things will be okay. You know, whether, I'll be in the bottom of the dirt, you know, I'm, I'm going to crawl out of it if I keep doing the right thing. And what did the right thing mean to you? Did you think you're going to do something differently or just do something different with your life? At that time, no, I, I just, I just knew that I didn't want to sell drugs anymore. I knew that I just didn't want to continue hurting people uh, the way I was and, and not having this mentality of like, I, I had a really cold heart. You know, like 
nothing bothered me. You know, I, I could see death. I could see people getting killed in front of me and, and sleep at night. You know, um, that was just my mindset. And, and as that, as that situation happened, my heart started opening and, um, and the, the, the idea sparked and this is where Combody sparked the idea of fitness. And, and since I was already helping all these people in the prison yard, working out and all that stuff, I, I was like, this is the way I can give back to society rather than hurt society. You know, I could help people get fit, get healthy. I felt like it was my calling at the time. And, and I wrote out a whole mini business plan. Uh, wrote out pretty much a book of what I wanted to do when I came home and outlined all my exercises, you know, as much as I can and and tucked it away in, a, in an envelope. But of course, when you're in prison, it's not like you can, even outside solitary, that you can access the internet, that you have access to lots of resources. You know, it's extremely limited, isn't it? Which makes Absolutely. even planning for your life post-prison extremely challenging right Later. so you left prison in 2013 is that correct yeah. so tell me about how the world was when you came out for you because it's one thing when you're living in a highly regimented environment which prison is at all levels right even if you have a lot of time on your hands it's not really time you can do whatever you like with right you can't go and see your friends or you know go and have a cappuccino down the road right it's it's <laughs> it's, it's very highly constrained and highly regimented how was life when you came out the first emotion i felt was just appreciation like not sleeping on a bed, metal bed with a thin plastic mattress you know and and i mean i was sleeping on my mom's couch but that was like yeah luxury right I felt like that was like king size, you know, <laughs> king size bed, you know. So I, I felt like, you know, super comfortable. I felt happy. I felt excited. You know, I got to eat real food, uh, you know, not food out of, of a can or, you know, processed food. And so it was amazing. Um, but as time settles in, you start getting frustrated at the fact that I couldn't find a job. I have to provide for my family. You know, I'm getting the pressures around me to, you know, do the right thing. And, and it's hard, you know, it, it's frustrating. I mean, I went to every store in Times Square, every store in Herald Square and like filled out it's, you know, over a hundred applications. And, you know, some of them denied me on my face and some of them, you know, just never hit me back up. Because of course the issue, and it's still the issue today, that when you apply for a job, you know, there is a question on the questionnaire or at some point you're asked the question if you have a criminal record, right? And, you know, in most cases, if you say you have, that is it. There are organizations um, and companies that are making an active point of hiring former inmates. There are a number of organizations here, a number of businesses. There's a business called Timpsons, um, which hires former inmates and, and is very active and vociferous about doing this. And of course, we also know that some big corporations are, saying that they plan to change their policy and not to ask this question. But very few have done that so far in what I'm seeing around me. And I, I think you probably were leaning right into that massive, massive problem in terms of trying to get employment. Absolutely. And it was extremely difficult to transition from, you know, technology. You know, I went in with a uh, MySpace account and and I had no idea what Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You well, you know, had to we teach yourself everything, right? Because you'd sort of missed that bit, right? 
I mean, Google was the savior, you know, figuring out what Google was, was like, you know, I was just Googling and YouTube being everything. I was like, how to do this, how to do that. And I would just stay up at night, you know, trying to figure things out. (laughs) And, but you feel, I, I felt left back. I felt like I was left out of society and the world is moving, you know, 110 miles per hour. And I felt like I was. Yeah. On the periphery, right? Flintstones meeting the Jetsons, basically. Oh, my God. I, I, I get it. Did you, Koss, this is a very odd question, but I have to ask you. After having come out and, you know, been so super grateful for your family uh, who stood by you and their support and your friends and, you know, your mother's lovely couch and decent food and on and on. Did you ever in the low moments where you were banging your head against the wall trying to get a job and so forth, miss anything about prison yeah i guess i mean uh, the camaraderie the friendships that i've built there i I think that's pretty much the only thing that i miss Um, you know those people that you you break bread with you eat with every single day you know you create a family in there tell me about the launch of the business i mean the launch of the business was one of the hardest things i've ever done so i basically started a work out in the park. Um, my mom lived across the street from the park. So I would go out across the street. I would see people running, jogging in the neighborhood. The neighborhood changed. It was extremely gentrified. And at this time, like you would never, back in the day, you would never see anybody jogging around the neighborhood right. or you wouldn't see females wearing yoga pants. So I was like, Hey, yo, what's, I would just run up to them, stop them, you know, tell them I'm doing this and bring them to the park and tell them I'm doing a boot camp. And, uh, and, I remember after like two years, I had like maybe seven people in front of me and I thought I made it, you know, I was like, you know, I got a group here, you know, the loyals were doing this, you know, so I felt like super accomplished. Um, uh, but it was those small wins that, you know, helped me, you know, keep going. Yeah, because um, it's a road, right? You would have leveraged a lot of the skills that you'd built up in your earlier career, if we may call it that. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was trans- I transformed my hustle for sure. Uh, I, I use a lot of the same skills that I was using in the streets. So, you know, I, I, op- I started a whole drug delivery service in New York City with business cards, dressing a certain way, talking a certain way. And I was like, uh, I used that like same mentality when I came home now, you know, I made like business cards. I would go up to people in the train station. I would make announcements. I would be fearless about who I'm going to talk to. And yes, in the beginning, like the first person I stopped, I was nervous about it. But then after I did it multiple times and just kept doing it, kept doing it, it was like, whatever, you know, it was just like, I just made it happen. And I got like a million no's, but you know, I would get maybe a a yes, you know, once in a blue, you know, and that's what it was. And tell me today, what does the business look like? So today I've, I've already hired uh, 53 people coming out of the prison system. Uh, We have a zero recidivism rate, you know, uh, not every, all 53 people are still working with me. There's people that's transitioned and and are doing their own thing, starting their own businesses, working for other stuff. And meaning zero recidivism rate is that these people have not gone back into the prison system. Which, I mean, I have Um, to salute you on because the statistics on this are just horrific. 
I think it's over 70% of uh, offenders become repeat offenders and go back in within a very, very short space of time, right? I mean, certainly in the UK, when people leave prison, they're given a very, very, very small amount of money. In many cases, this isn't enough for them to get a train fare home. So people naturally revert to what they know. And I think, uh, you know, although, as I mentioned earlier, like the States, I feel is better or more advanced uh, in its programs for former inmates. It's still, it's still far from where it needs to be. Yeah, it depends what state you're in. Um, like California is definitely way more progressive than New York. Uh, like New York, you get $40 when you're bringing release. You know, $40, you go half of that, you spend in McDonald's on your, on your bus trip way back home. Uh, and and then you you end up spending that on the transit and then it's over, you know, and then like if you don't have any family or you don't have anybody taking care of you, then you're in a homeless situation, you're in a halfway house, you know, it's it's just setting you back. So, Kos, in the time that you've been building the business, you know, alongside that, I know you're, you know, you, you continue to be very closely connected to the prison system. You're a board member of Second Chance Studios, which is a not-for-profit digital media company. And I love that you're going digital because that is not even the future it's today. And, you know, you've clearly learned your way through Google and all the rest. And, you you know, you know what all these things are and how they function, which is brilliant. But this company um, trains and employs former prisoners as such. And also part of your mission is providing training and employment for young people, some who transit through and go and do their own thing, some who become employees of Conbody. What would your advice be today to someone coming out of prison who's desperate because they don't know which way to go. I would say trust the process. Just keep doing the right thing. You know, keep doing the right thing because good things will come eventually. You know, it, it could be, you could get, keep doing the right thing and get bad outcomes every single time, but eventually you're going to have something good to happen and then it'll help you escalate from that situation. That's the mentality that I had whether it was just like showing up every single day in the park and just going after people or just working out by myself, you know, and just just keep doing it consistently um, and eventually it would pop. If there was one thing that society could do today, in your view, for people who, for all sorts of reasons, have been on the wrong side of the tracks and been inside, what would that one thing that society large corporations, governments could do? I think one thing is uh, education inside. I think, you know, getting people certified in in apprenticeship programs, getting them uh, any university degree. And I feel like why not educate these individuals so they could come out and do the right thing, you know, and, and have some sort of redemption, have some sort of, you know, good come out of that. Because, you know, tomorrow that person is going to be released and that person is going to be your neighbor. Do you want that person reverting back to negative ways or do you want that person contributing, being a positive member to society? You've mentioned on occasion that you still experience discrimination. You know, you as a business builder, as an entrepreneur, what form does that take for you today? All, all different types uh, ways and and first, I think uh, capital was a big, big issue of for course. me. Of course, raising okay. capital, right? Which you have to do yeah. to grow. Yeah, raising capital. You know, I, I've been featured in multiple, over 200 media outlets today and, you know, proven a great track record and then, you know, being shut down by by investors and venture capitalists. And, and it took me, I didn't raise money until last year. Right. 
it was it's been extremely difficult for me to get any type of capital. Um, and so I had to really bootstrap a lot of the stuff that I've been doing. Which is also a great learning curve as well. And so where do you want to take the business today? My goal was to hire as many people coming out of the prison system as possible. So hopefully, you know, we could go back into getting international, go to the UK, <laughs> open up more. We're waiting more. for you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, franchising, also building the, the, the virtue side of the business, um, that's limitless amount of people that I could have on a platform. I've We've trained over 60,000 people today, uh, virtually and in person. And so, and primarily a lot of it has been virtual. Uh, and so, there's where I want to take the business. In what way are these workouts different is it the fact you could do it anywhere? You don't need space. There are no weights. What is your differentiator in the market? Yeah, no, no equipment, all body weight, small constrained space. You're also helping somebody coming out of the prison system rebuild their life. And so you give somebody a second opportunity. And the whole workout is different. It's not your F45, Orange Jerry, you know, all these franchises that you see around. It, you know, it's not Barry's. It's not little 45-second intervals. It's 45 minutes of just straight, nonstop movement, you know, and it's a whole different concept, a whole different fitness theory that, that I came up with while I was incarcerated. And you also, you know, talk about creating a movement. Tell me what that means to you. The movement is just transforming people's mentalities, uh, you know, changing people's perceptions, Um you know, getting people to really have an open heart on on who they see and not judge at, at their first sight, you know. And, and I feel like a lot of people hear or see people that are coming out of the prison system as like low lifes, degenerates, as, you know, people that are predators. And I want to change that whole mentality because, like I said before, you know, these people are the most trustworthy, most lovely people that I've met in my life, you know, and smartest. And so I want, I want to change that perception. And, and I think we do that in the combody studio when you have young professionals come in and see a trainer there, you know, and they, they first are scared at what they're about to do or who are they going to meet, you know, and hear about this person's background. But when they start hanging out with this person, it's like, they just, they won't separate. You know, some people have to like kick out of the studio because, you know, we're closing up, you know, and, and, uh, but it's, it's a lovely thing to see happen. Because you know? you've gone through major changes in your life, right? And now you're, you're in a way you're a change maker, right? It's like a new path for you with your business and your entrepreneurial life. You've had a number of epiphanies and also you've become a father twice and very recently. Again, huge congratulations to the family. I'm super excited about that little baby girl. How has being a father changed you? And what do you tell your son, who's obviously a teenager now, about your former life? I mean, I'm super transparent with my son. I tell him everything and I think that really breaks down uh, different parenting too, you know, uh, because... Uh, for years, like my parents would never open up to me about their past or, you know, what they go through and, and their trauma. Like, I'm just open about it, you know, and, and I feel like it becomes a better dialogue instead of and you gain more respect and you gain more attraction that way. And so that's that's just my concept of parenting. Um, How has it changed you as a person being a parent? 
Yeah, I mean, being a parent, you 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 never understand what your parents go through until you're your parent. You know, say that you, again. You, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you feel it. You you know, you feel it within you and your soul. You feel it in your heart. You feel it's just it's something that it's unexplainable until you become a parent. You know, you could you could talk about it. You could describe it, and maybe some people might feel uh, empty tiny little bit of it um but it's unexplainable the the feeling and the the attraction and the connection that you have with your kid you know when you when you have a kid yeah and it never stops by the way even when they're grown-ups you know it's lifelong so just strap your seatbelt on okay um in all the best ways of course so cos looking back on your life to date and also your time in prison what what's been the biggest lesson that you took from that with all the highs and lows? <laughs> no, I, didn't, I never really looked at the, the lows as being lows for me. I think just learning, all learning experiences. And, and I, I think uh, somebody told me this, that Asian culture celebrates uh, mistakes. Um, and so I think, you know, celebrating those, those experiences, those downfalls are great, you know, their experiences that we have to crawl out and then look, you know, at that time we might be devastated, might be pulling our hair, at, at, you know, in that situation. But looking back, you're like, wow, I went through that and and I came out of that a stronger person. Kos, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been no, I appreciate it. a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the show. And I look forward to meeting you soon, either here or when you come to London. Yes, I'll definitely be in London. My sister lives over there, so... She's been up there. I have an Irish Irish brother too. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, I look forward to that. Thank you again, Kos. Thank you. Speaking to Kos today has been really incredible. His raw honesty, his extraordinary journey, and his desire to make something good out of something so bad has been really moving. I loved it when he talked about being an entrepreneur through and through. This idea that he was able to bring his hustle from the drug ring business to his con body business was brilliant. Sometimes we just need to remember the skills we have are worth something, even if they come about in the most unconventional of ways. I felt really inspired by his simple advice to keep doing the right thing. Trust the process, he says. Do the right thing day after day, and things will be okay. He knows that keeping on that right path will eventually pay off, that anyone can get themselves out of a bad situation if they keep moving forward with the right intentions. Koss has clearly taken all the past experiences of his life, good and very bad, and turned them into a powerful positive that not only changed his life, but the lives and perceptions of so many others. I hope you've learned as much from him as I have. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Double Espresso with D. Do connect with me on Instagram at D Double Espresso. I love hearing your feedback and what has resonated with you. And don't forget to join me next week for another amazing guest interview. Until then, au revoir.